Hey everybody, Mike McDonald here. Before we start this episode, I just wanted to let you know that we had to record this entire episode a second time because I accidentally deleted the first one. Also, if you're wondering why Jesse's audio cuts out from time to time, we are recording this during the COVID-19 pandemic. And in order to remain safe and socially distant, we're recording it over Zoom. Does Zoom have some shortcomings? It absolutely does, but it's getting our podcast made, so we're not going to complain too much about it. Also, we're just learning how to do this, so if you've got helpful tips or you know some stuff that could help us out, let us know. Leave a comment, write a review, send us an email, visit our website, cdfpod.com, or follow us on social media. We'd love to hear from you. Now, here's our episode. Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is the Celluloid Dumpster Fire. All right, hey everybody, we are talking about the 1975 cult classic, A Boy and His Dog. Starring Don Johnson, based on a novella by Harlan Ellison. The screenplay was written by L.Q. Jones, a major studio, and it, I, I don't know which one it was. I couldn't find that. But a major studio wanted to buy the screenplay, but they eventually backed out because Jones wanted a million dollars and 90% of the gross, which is just a ridiculous ask for a screenplay. So he ended up producing it, uh, writing and directing and himself. Uh, he's also in a movie in a bit, a bit part. He is. Produced by Alvy Moore, who's a comic actor best known for his role on Green Acres. Starring Don Johnson of Miami Vice fame. Also appeared in Eastbound and Down, Nash Bridges, the Dust like Till Dawn series. He's kind of making a comeback in like the TV era. And, and I think he's at that point in his career where he's uh, well, kind of like Bill Murray. He does what he thinks will be fun and heck with the rest. Yeah. Tim McIntyre is the voice of Blood, Vic's dog. Tim McIntyre had a career as a character actor, singer, songwriter, and musician. He had parts in a lot of westerns, which explains why he did this movie, which is yeah. essentially a western with a futuristic paint job. Yeah. Did voiceover work for a lot of commercials, but really he found his main success as a musician, was a very prolific session musician, and tragically died from a heart attack at age 41. He had a really cool voice, which he really drives in on this movie. Plus a right. uh, dog as the physical embodiment. Suzanne Benton as Quilla June Holmes was a character actor from 1967 to 1982. She had small parts in Policewoman, Gunsmoke, Barnaby Jones, and a few movies, but really decided that since bit parts was all she was going to do, that uh, she'd go ahead and retire in 1982 and, and find something else to do, which, I mean, I can... if. The work that's coming to you isn't the work that you want. Uh, why wouldn't? And Jason Robards as Lou Craddock. This is the big name that they got for the film. That's the main draw. Right. And he's thin, so like, 
I can't believe it, you know. He was active from 1947 until his death in 2000. Had parts in Parenthood, All the President's Men, and played Franklin Roosevelt in FDR The Final Year. He was also in that uh, Dream Little Dream movie with uh, the Corys. And I remember him. There's a clip that he was in that movie where, uh, I don't know, I think I said Metallica one video. I just remember him, that that little uh, clip from that war movie he was in as Haunting. Jason Robards, man, he's he's like up there, like a scary looking dude, too. He's got a very, very, dis- he has very distinct features. Yeah, like staunch and like he, he his face kind of like what I would imagine the Grim Reaper looking like, just like an old guy in a hood. Right, I can't see him not playing a straight man. Yeah. Even when he does silly shit, like Dream a Little Dream. Right. He's really, he's really serious about it. So I first heard about this movie in 1984, listening to the Dr. Demento show. Nice. Um, the theater in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I forget which theater it was, they did uh, a promotion they called The World's Worst Movies. Where you get in for free, it costs five dollars to leave, and then they play three movies. They play Plan Nine from Outer Space, Attack not, of the Killer Tomatoes, and A Boy yeah. and His Dog. That's not that bad. I wish they still did that stuff. I'd save a lot of money, man. And I never did get to see it, so I was glad to be able to sit down and and watch this movie. This is a very well made movie, a well well envisioned movie. It's basically, like I said, a Western. There's so much of the staples of Western movies in this that we'll talk about as we go, just with a post-apocalyptic feel. The movie takes place in an alternate timeline, much like the Fallout games. The timeline basically split around the 1950s, and it's very similar here. Yeah. In Uh, fact, guys were really inspired by this movie a lot i mean it's like one of the earliest post-apocalypse kind of like movies it's like you're hitting like uh what is it you know the bottom you know like where all this stuff kind of spread i'm not not in fiction and stuff but like you know in movies yeah like, this know. was this was um bedrock the yeah exactly a foundational film and yeah the the creators of the fallout franchise and even through bethesda they've They've taken a lot from this movie as, as far as inspiration, costume design, the fact that there's a desert wasteland in all of those movies, the underground bunkers, canned goods. Oh, yeah. All over the place. Yeah. The only thing that's, that's missing cool. from this movie is Salisbury steak. Yeah. Thank God. Thank you, Salisbury steak. The Fallout franchise owes a lot of credit to this film. So the movie starts with stock footage of nuclear tests, just like most post-apocalyptic films. We just see nuclear test explosions over and over again. The movie is set in 2024, so just three years from now. Yeah. (laughs) Future's looking bright. Got to get shades, man. 2024. (laughs) So according to the, the scroll at the beginning of the film, there was a nuclear war in which all of the nuclear powers on the planet launched their arsenals all at once and basically just wiped out everything that was above ground. Yeah. The movie opens after the nuclear test uh, scenes. We get to hear um, Vic reciting his history lessons off camera and the various 
The various types of characters are introduced here uh, one at a time. Basically, there are females who are in short supply and high demand. There are solos like Vic, people who travel on their own. And there are rover packs who are scavengers banded together to gather food and resources and women. And Blood has detected a woman up ahead and a solo and a rover pack all converging on her at the same time. Yeah, it looks like just like a hole in the ground. You know, of course, the dog's talking to him, you know, through telepathy. So, like, just lay, lay, lays down and stuff, and they're looking, looking over, and you just see, like, craziness. Like, three or four people just get on this hole, and it's, like, scary and, like, road warrior, like. There's these little blast craters all over the place that they don't really yeah. explain at first, but it, it makes sense later on. Vic manages to overpower the Solo, who is in a nearby blast crater, and then he watches the rover pack as they're leaving the bunker where this female was hiding out. And this is where we see Blood for the very first time. Blood is played by a dog named Tiger, who many may recognize as the Brady family's dog, Tiger. Yeah. They like only appeared in like a couple episodes, I think. But oh yeah, like the beginning of the series, it was in there. He was there for the first season, but then they they took him out, and he, he didn't live long past this movie either. Yeah, uh, I think he was hit by a car actually. He was an old looking dog in in, <laughs> in the Brady bunch, and like in this one, he just he looks like a dog that's been through like nuclear hell. Right. Yeah, and you would think that. A more aggressive-looking dog would be a better choice for this. But the fact that we've got this shaggy gray dog, it fits in really well with the uh, desert wasteland motif. You know, he looks like a dog that's, that's been through it. Just eat scraps and stuff. Vic approaches the entrance to the bunker after the rover pack left. This is where we can see that he and Blood are communicating telepathically because they're talking. But it's pretty clear from the shot of Vic that he's not speaking. These words are coming from his mind, I guess. And Blood appears to be capable of sniffing out threats as well as women because Vic instructs him to, to see if there's anything down there that could, because he's going in. Blood informs him that they've killed this woman and made a mess, but Vic is going in anyway. Yeah. Once he gets down in the bunker, the woman, he finds out the woman's still alive. Vic doesn't do anything to, to help her. She's beyond help. He just leaves her there to die. He's complaining about the fact that that rover gang cut her up when she was still useful and could have been bred three or four more times. Blood starts teasing him at this point, and this is the first time we, that Vic refers to him as dog meat. Yeah. Um, a name that gets used much later, years later, in the Fallout games. I think I read somewhere that in Fallout's 3 and 4, dog meat was far and away the preferred companion there. I think New Vegas can have them, like, have puppies. I think. Yeah, no, there was like a, there was like some kind of, um, I don't know, it was like a trash place, and there was like an old lady and she had dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I used yeah, those games. Well, Blood starts sniffing for another female while Vic searches the debris for canned goods. Meanwhile, they, he's watching the rover pack chase and beat down a solo that they found. 
And then they decide since uh, they've gathered up all the food and there's no other women around, they're going to get on out of there. And we see them walking off as blood recites a, a naughty limerick for Vic's entertainment. Yeah. The opening credits roll at this point and blood is trying to teach Vic the history of World War III and World War IV. He's reciting all of the uh, presidents in this timeline. There are a lot of Kennedys who are president. It's now, like... this, was, this was 1975, so probably around the time that Nixon had resigned, Ford was president. Jimmy Carter hadn't been elected yet. So uh, yeah. in, in this timeline, after Ford, there are three different Kennedys who serve as president. Doesn't say who they were, but... Yeah, no. Probably Joe Jr. or whatever. Or and, John and Ted. Jr. And Ted. JJ. <laughs> I don't know. It could have been brother, because, like, you never know. Like, it, like there's no Sarhan, Sarhan, you know. Just alternate timelines are weird like that. Possibly, yeah. That's true. After the opening credits, Vic and Blood uh, have taken shelter from a rainstorm. Vic and Blood get into an argument as Vic is filling old liquor bottles with water from a puddle. And this is where we find out about Over the Hill. Yeah, they're the... supposed to be searching for the mythical place called Over the Hill, where the water's clean and grass grows and food Spicy. comes right up out of the ground. Yeah. This is a place that Blood heard about when he was, well, he heard about it from a police dog. And this is a bit that never gets uh, revealed in the movie, but in, in the story, in the novella by Harlan Ellison, Vic became telepathic as part of a scientific program trying to make dogs telepathic by splicing dolphin DNA into their genes to develop superpowers, super puppy powers. Like soldier dogs. Right. So a police dog in this program told Vic or told Blood, I keep calling the dog, told Blood about a place called Over the Hill. Now, one of the side effects of this program that made the dogs telepathic is that they completely lost the ability to find their own food. Yeah, complete domestication. And they're just, they're, they're good recon thing. And every time he does like a sensing or a smelling thing, there's that little like weird computer like ding 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 ding. Yeah, kind of like a sonar or radar beep. Um, yeah. Every time that he goes uh, searching for searching for a female, because apparently blood can sniff out women, but Vic has to find all their food. Yeah. Vic storms off to find some food after their argument, and that's when we introduce the slaver. This guy. Is he's riding a wagon that's pulled by a, a company of slaves. And here's where we see why these blast craters are all over the wasteland. The slaver is blasting open bunkers to scavenge canned goods and probably more costume materials for it. Any kind of thing that they use to make, like, uh, make two clothes, uh, anything they can eat. Uh, anything they can build more uh, slaver carts out of or whatever. Right, right. The guy is covered in like metals and like, I don't know, bed sheets or he's wearing a dashiki and he's got like sunglasses on. And he's just, yeah, he's like just a mess. And like everybody's like, you know, I don't know, they look like the cast of Godspell or something. They're all dressed weird. 
Yeah, he's got this long bathrobe and a few other robes on, it looks like, and an admiral's hat. Broken so he's... ice water. It's, yeah, it's a mess. Yeah, it really is. This scene suffers from some of the worst sound editing in the entire movie as the slaver instructs his musician to play a song. And it sounds like we've got at least two different songs playing and neither one of them sync up to the guy playing the guitar. It's kind of like uh, Mad Max Fury Road, like a, like he's got like someone playing guitar chained up yeah. and uh, speakers and like, yeah, the whole mess of like, you know, chained up uh, cannibals or something like digging around for, you know, food and shit. It's it's pretty weird how like that it's kind of inspirational like that like that whole genre. Yeah, this was um probably seven or eight years prior to Mad Max, so there the, there's definitely some influence from this movie in the Mad Max uh, Mad Max Two at least, and yeah. and perhaps Thunderdome. I'm not saying they did it better than those. I'm just saying it, it was there. You, they get that yeah one. exactly. This was. To be a low-budget cult movie like it is, it, it was pretty groundbreaking and, and incredibly influential. Vic decides he's going to steal the slaver's canned goods. Uh, the slaver has taken out his frustrations on, on one of his guys and, and gone down into the bunker himself to see what's there. Vic takes that opportunity to run up to the cart and steal a burlap sack full of canned goods and they run off. And then we see that there are three mysterious pairs of legs wearing freakishly clean clothes out in the yeah. wasteland watching Vic and commenting on his ability to provide for himself. As Vic steals their stash of canned goods, the mysterious feet agree that they're going to go ahead and set a trap for Vic. Put out the cheese. Put out the cheese. Yeah. So in the next scene, Vic and Blood have eaten their fill and they're laying on their backs as the wasteland sun sets. Blood wants popcorn, so they head to a wasteland settlement to see a movie. And as they enter this settlement, this is just like Every single time you've ever seen a gunslinger ride into a Wild West town. Yeah, it's like a little trading post. They're like right. uh, he's in a Deadwood or something. It's like really shitty. It's made out of like scrap metal and stuff. Yeah, that's that's what uh, it's Fallout definitely made use of this of this kind of set design in there. So, you know, all the buildings are made out of out of salvaged cars and sheet metal or airplane um, something or like airplane a, yeah it looks like a kind of like a, i don't know like a like a crappy airplane you know they just use it as an archway as like a shield but we've got couches a, in it. we've got an armed guard at the entrance collecting the the entrance fee which is a can of food that yeah. gives him a can of sardines and then he wants payment for the dog as well Vic takes out a can of beets and he tosses them to the guy. The guy looks at it and he looks back to Vic. Vic immediately understands the guy can't read. Yeah. So he's looking for him to tell him what's in the can. Vic tells him it's peaches. <laughs> the guy with the shotgun says, well, how do I know that? And Vic says, well, you can read, can't you? 
So David Milch uh, mentioned something about this when he was making Deadwood for HBO. And, and one of the things that he explained was that intelligence was a, a currency that could be used and could be shown as a sign of strength, uh, as a way to elevate yourself above the other people. And so nobody would admit that they couldn't read because yeah. that gives you a leg up on me. Yeah, like E.B. Farnham, like that whole guy's thing was he thought he was the shit. But he was exactly. like, just, it was Dingleberry, you know? And like, there's a lot of guys, you know, like in the old Westerns are like that, where like they kind of shit on everybody, but it's because deep down, you know? So we get next, we get a tour of this settlement. And, and you know, there's, there's somebody selling showers, there's a popcorn vendor. In, in the Wild West town, you would see a dentist uh, pulling somebody's teeth and, and a butcher with meat out there on the street. Here we see a popcorn vendor in a shower. There's also a brothel and a movie theater <laughs> showing old stag films and something else that uh, it looks like it looks like LQ Jones had taken scrap footage from a number of projects that he had had been puttering around with and, and just <laughs> stuck them in here as something to show in this uh, wasteland settlement theater. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty schlocky. And uh, a lot of his early work is, is like that. Not not his acting, but like, yeah, when he started producing and directing, it's kind of like, yeah, right. grab the and run type, yeah, schlocking. So while they're watching these films, Blood uh, lets Vic know that there's a female here. And at first I thought, you know, he was talking about the prostitutes, but apparently there is a different female here. Blood holds out on the details until Vic uh, not only agrees to buy him popcorn, but also tells him how wonderful he is. Dog's a little bit of a condescending asshole, you know. He really is. But I then, like like, I mean, yeah. he, where would uh, where would Vic be without the dog? It yeah, they really. It's like kind of like I don't know, like a young gunster and like an old professor, and they're they're like weekend adventures of trying food and get laid. But like it, you know, every weekend is just strike strikeout city, and. I, they're, they're kind of like duo the way they play off. And that's hard to do. Like, because Don Johnson's like, what, 19? He's playing off a dog. And like, he the other did guys, a really good job of it. He does, man. He plays really well for like a one sided, uh, like monologue to a dog. You know, back when, in, you know, in the scene just before this one where they were arguing, you know, uh, yeah. he's that we see. Uh, a two-sided argument, but Don Johnson's just sitting there yelling at this dog, getting mad over things that aren't being said, and and he, yeah. he does it really, really well. He does. It really holds the movie together because, like, without that, like, if they had someone that couldn't act well with an animal or just or couldn't no act at all at all, the whole movie has just been flopped. Right. So Blood gets what he wants, and he tells Vic. Where the female is, what he, what he, what she even looks like, like what she's wearing, he, like he knows everything. Oh yeah, he knew exactly. Well, he was able to. He's been looking around. We yeah, saw him like, trying to beg popcorn off the guy sitting next to him earlier. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> so Vic and Blood go back to the movie to keep an eye on this female until she leaves, and when she leaves, she walks right past Vic. She could have gone out any other way and not been noticed but she made sure she walked right past Vic but blood is too 
interested in getting popcorn and Vic too interested in getting laid for either one of them to notice any red flags here. Yeah. The cheese lit off the cracker. Right. So as the settlement shuts down for the night, Vic and Blood track the female solo. They track her to a bunker where screamers hold up. This bunker looks like an abandoned school. And Vic is getting his perv on, watching her change clothes through the window. Yeah, he's pervert. That yeah, I love that set. That's one of my favorite sets in this movie. Is like just the whole underground like school or whatever it is. It does. It's like a, just a ratty gymnasium after like an explosion or a pepper alley gone wrong. And it's like I don't know. There's that where she's in the changing room. And there's like a bunch of like fake spider webs. I don't know. I mean, it looks it looks old, but there's there's a bunch of mattresses laying around. Um, yeah, it looks like he's just watching through a dirty window. Like none of the sets make sense. Like like if that's near to a bunker, but like they look good, you know. Right. Well, at least they didn't try to explain it, which would have definitely made it worse. Yeah. It's just here, hit setting. Let's go with it. So Vic <laughs> runs in. He's decided he's going to take his chance now. And he pulls a gun on the girl and explains to her how he's going to rape her. And she's strangely calm through this whole thing. She doesn't seem at all scared or upset that, that this guy is about to brutalize her. She's really acting weird. She's like kind of like just kind of bored with the whole fact that this creeps in the basement. About the raper, you know. Exactly. It's almost like she expected it. Yeah. Well, Blood sticks his head in and tells Vic that a pack of rovers have the bunker surrounded. Blood wants to give the rovers the girl so that they will, so that they can just go. Vic has other plans, though, and he wants to fight the rovers off. Hey everybody, Mike McDonald here. I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about our Patreon, where you can support this podcast for as little as $1 per episode. And when you make a pledge at any level, that money allows us to make donations to film schools all across the country. It's our way of giving a little something back to the great people who make the movies we enjoy so much. So go to patreon.com slash cdfpod and join at any level. No matter which level you choose, we think you're awesome for supporting the filmmakers of tomorrow. Patreon.com slash CDF pod. Do they it's do like the Rottweiler or something, man? Coming up here. Um, so he does kill a rover, blood does, and yeah. then he grabs that rover's gun and he takes it over to the little mattress fort where Quilla June is hiding out. That's right, yeah. As the uh, rovers start to close in on him, Vic decides he can scare them off by impersonating a screamer. Once he does that, the 18 rovers that are outside the bunker, they, they, get, they get gone. Yeah, that's when they run off. But the five uh, that are down in the bunker, they're going to keep fighting, and they do have a dog with them. And Blood goes after the dog. Again, can't find food, but he can fight. It was like an old house dog going up, like a gnarly, mean junkyard dog, too. Yeah, big shaggy sheep dog against a Rottweiler. Guess who's going to win? The shaggy dog. Shaggy, shaggy dog, yeah. He's got training. He's pedigree. And Blood does get pretty tore up in this fight. They eventually fight the rovers off and the dog. And Blood gets torn up pretty badly in this fight. They cover him like in like red jello or something, and he looks like all oh, just like messed up. Again, like some uh, blood on his nose and stuff. 
it's not done poorly. No. Um, Wes Dawn did the makeup for this movie, so he probably would have done the dog as well. Wes Dawn did work on Star Trek 3 through 5. Uh, he also did makeup on Die Hard and Hunt for Red October. Hell yeah. We've seen some movies where the fake blood is really cheesy, and it isn't like that here. And when I've seen it like on video and stuff, like their lower resolution, you really can't tell what it is. And it looks like really messed up, like, you know, blood and stuff. And the, the higher definitions, you know, like you got today, you can see how they did it. But it, uh, it's still like on a budget. And like, uh, and like, especially like putting makeup on animals is hard to do. Sure. There's like tons of movies where that you can see where that's been a bad, a really good job. Yeah. So Vic explains to Quilla June what a screamer is, and coincidentally, one just happens to show up outside. We never actually see the screamer. We just see its green glow. Apparently, the burn pit screamers are radioactive monsters that can kill you just by touching you. The screamer wanders off, however, as Vic and Blood and Quilla take refuge inside a boiler. And this boiler... Looks like somebody's been living in it. Yeah, it's a nice boiler. They've That's got a... mattresses around. There might even be a sign on the wall inside the boiler. I don't know what that's about. They even look like they might have heating inside that boiler. Yeah. Like a, like a little, uh, what do you call it, radiator or something. I, I would pay $400 a month for that, for that boiler. <laughs> I think if, you, if that boiler was in Nashville, that's the least you would pay for. Yeah, no, yeah, no, that's, that's easy. Uh, you know, 1300 a month in that going right now. So Quilla June decides she's very willing to give Vic what he wants now, and they do it in the boiler. Blood decides that he's not going to stick around to watch that show and leaves. Afterward, uh, Vic is trying to impress Quilla June with his knowledge of history, and of course, Vi uh, Blood is feeding him all the facts telepathic. Yeah, he's cheating. <laughs> Sergio. Yes. Doing his little Cyrano de Bergerac thing. Oh, de Bergerac, yeah. Quilla June tries to convince Vic to go down under with her. Down under, of course, a underground bunker city where she lives uh, with apparently a lot of folks. It's the whole underground, like, uh, society, you know, like, uh, kind of like a fallout, you know, it's like a whole thing. There's like these big wells. Of, yeah, if, like, this uh, was, if this was fallout, this would be a vault. Yeah, I don't know, it kind of reminds me of the Fremen or something from Dune. It's like just like this group of people that just like live in these huge underground caverns and stuff. Right. Totally stark comparison to like the uh, wasteland that's in the rest of the movie. Literally night, night and day. Exactly. When we get to see it uh, a little bit later, it's it's an amazing contrast. Now, Vic's not sure he wants to go, so they have sex again, and Blood decides he's going to distract himself by conjugating verbs in Latin. <laughs> <laughs> then he just decides that that's enough, and he limps out to, to take a look around to see if it's safe to leave. So after their second time, Vic is trying to explain to Quilla June how he talks to Blood and why she can't hear him. And he tells her that, uh, that Blood had explained it to him by saying that they, they think alike. <laughs> Meanwhile, Quilla June is, trying to, is uh, planning out their lives once they're down under. And um, she, find, she explains that 
blood would be able to come and visit them from time to time. Well, Vic is not at all keen on leaving blood behind. Blood, on the other hand, has had enough of the whole thing and is trying to talk some sense into Vic. He wants to leave just the two of them. But Vic yeah. wants to take his new girlfriend with him. And this, this is the yeah. funniest bit here. Blood calls Vic a putz. <laughs> yeah. What's a putz? That's something bad, isn't it? I bet it's something bad. It, that's like a callback going to the, the intelligence thing, like with the uh, the can of beets and stuff. It's like, oh, yeah. man, he's the beat thing on me, isn't he? He did. Yeah. He totally did the beat thing on him. Well, after after arguing with Blood, um, Vic decides to go back to the boiler to Quilla June, and as soon as she does, he does, she very casually reaches over with a flashlight and knocks him out. That's a well-made flashlight. It she is. Just, he taps him like it's a magic wand, and he he's like out, out, yeah. out. It makes the movie go black. It's so hard. I mean, I wish they made flashlights like that now. Yeah, I know. I can bet I get one to like you know turn on, but that one. When Vic comes to Quilla June is gone, but she has left something behind. Blood thinks it's uh, an access card that opens the door to get him into Down Under. Uh, so Vic takes off after her, and, and Blood goes limping along behind him. He's still pretty beat up after that fight with the Rovers. They find the entrance to Down Under, and and of course Blood can't go. I don't know why Blood can't go, why he won't take Blood with him, but Quilla June said dogs aren't allowed, so he doesn't take the dog with him. Plus, that dog could probably just sense that's bad. It's bad news. He called it. He called that chick bad news. Yeah. Even, you know, he wanted the popcorn. He's like, ah, yeah, okay, I'll throw him a bone. Even that fight, you know, he had a chance, you know. And it's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I'm not going down there. So it turns out that the entrance to Down Under is, uh, looks like an old missile silo. Vic goes all the way down, completely unchallenged. There's nobody around, and then exits in a cemetery or park or something, and is immediately captured. I love that set. It's like he gets an elevator, goes down, opens up, and then bam, yeah, he's like in a cemetery, and it's like just this big open field, and there's like very no natural light it's like spooky trees and blankness the next thing we see vic is being forcibly bathed while townspeople stand around watching and eating ice cream sandwiches it's a truly enlightened cu culture they got there it's definitely creepy yeah everybody's wearing some kind of weird clown makeup and that's never explained they just look like, I don't know, like porcelain dolls, like everybody's uniformed, kind of right. like this 50s happy-go-lucky Ozzy and Harriet-like thing. After his forced bath in the fire station, Vic is being led through a park where everybody has gathered for a parade of some sort. Again, no explanation. They're probably having a parade because it's Wednesday. And that's what you do at like Wednesday at like 8 o'clock at night. Like, it's, the whole mood of the town is like a pepper alley. It's eerie. Next thing we see is the town council meeting where the canning festival winner is proclaimed. And for the next year, all canned peaches will have her name on it. Nice. Uh, a couple is also being sentenced to death for having the wrong attitude. And they're very casually discussing the funeral plans for this couple right there while they're standing right there on the stage. 
it's like uh, two uh, like it's like an old couple and they got their face makeup on but they're not smiling and they just kind of look frumpy and it's like uh yeah you know like you know i don't think re-educating them will help yeah no they're they're gonna have an accident and they're yeah. like playing accident they're like uh what kind of accident what we do last week I don't, I don't know i don't remember it's like i don't know they look like farmers let's They'll, they'll die by a farming accident. Yeah. You can get Reverend so-and-so to do their funeral next Tuesday. You'll be sent to the farm. Being sent to the farm is a euphemism for being executed. Quilla June enters and, of course, has to sit on Mr. Craddock's lap because that's what young women have to do when they come to talk to the creepy old man. Yeah, I didn't get that. I, I thought At first, I thought, like, his daughter and, like, she's, like, you know, next in line or something but then it's like nah he's like you know creepy and they haven't had any like you know i don't I, it's just weird it I is like yeah it's it's definitely creepy and quilla june is trying to negotiate a seat on the council for herself after she's gone craddock gives instructions for quilla june to be married off and if that doesn't calm her down well we'll send her to the farm like, well, we'll, just, we'll just get her married, get her kids. That'll calm her down, you know. She's not ready for uh, management, you know, type thing. She's right. not deserving of it. But she did go and get this guy. Right. We've got to do something for her. She did bring this guy down here. She leaves and meets up with Gary. Don't know who Gary is or where he came from, but she sure is free with uh, complaining about the council to Gary in spite of the fact that some folks were just sentenced to death for not being happy with the council. <laughs> yeah. So as they were leading Vic through the park, he stopped and tried to talk to a dog that he saw there. Remember, <laughs> dogs dogs aren't allowed down here for some reason, but there's a dog. He tries to talk to the dog. This dog doesn't talk back to him. But the town council wants to question the dog to see what Vic said. So maybe the dog does talk, just not to Vic. It was a cute dog. It was a cute little puppy. But the dog wouldn't talk, so they sent the dog to the farm. <laughs> that seems funny. They're putting the dog on the <laughs> He's just there with a little, like, I think he's got a red ribbon. Cute little white dog, and his tail's, like, kind of, like, you know, going. And they're like, the, the, this giant dude's just holding him, and they're, like, reading his thing. Like, all right, yeah. Uh, no compliance, uh, you know, set to be executed or set to the, the farm. Stone so date, you know, it was, it was just funny. The, yeah. You project that, the, like the, the, you know, the betrayal on that dog's face. What? I, I talk to him. I don't even talk. This I'm a dog. What do you want yep, from dog. me? Yeah. I can be a dog if that's yeah. what you want. <laughs> I signed up for being a dog. I didn't sign up for this. Uh, so the dog gets sent to the farm, and then they bring Vic in, and this is when they finally explain their plan for Vic. This is why it turns out that the mysterious legs that we saw earlier belong to the three members of the council. They have been holed up in this bunker for a long enough, that, and they're apparently inbred enough now that the, the men are all sterile. So yeah. occasionally they have to bring down a new guy to introduce some genetic ver diversity into the population. They ran out of ink for the printer, what happened? That's what it was. <laughs> like every couple months or every six years or something, they got, you know, like spring a honey trap, you know, get some more, you know, genetic material for the printer and, you know, 
go back to pumping out a new generation. They need a new guy. They've brought Vic down there to get their women pregnant. And Vic is all for this plan. Except yeah. that's not the way it's going to work. No, it's not. It never is. <laughs> the, the irony, you know, it's like this is the, the this book is irony, this movie. It definitely is ir- irony. Instead of uh, what Vic thinks they want, they hook him up to a pump in a hospital and they've selected 35 women who are going to marry Vic and be artificially inseminated and then Vic will be sent to the farm. They did um, it tastefully though. They got him Odyssey curtain and stuff. Right, right. In this society, getting pregnant without being married is not acceptable. Kidnapping a man and hooking him up to a semen pump, totally acceptable. Man. Quilla June shows up and uh, she's going to bust Vic out. In order to do that, she's got to take out the people who are guarding him. So she knocks them out with her bridal bouquet. That bouquet Damn, apparently was made out of the same stuff the flashlight was made out of. Craftsmen underground are really, really good. I've like, never seen weaponized flowers like that. I have, but not. <laughs> like, the the Joker has that one that spits acid, but that's not it. Like, you can't knock somebody out with that, you know. Right. So she knocks out the preacher and the doctor and, and gets Vic up off the table. Vic needs his weapons. Because Quilla June has explained that she's going to kill the members of the committee and take over. The committee, of course, being the, the town council. Yeah. And she's going to take over the committee herself. So they've got to get to the committee office to get Vic's guns. Escaping this hospital is pretty straightforward. You just run through all the people. Unlike hell, yeah. Uh, There's some hostile, you know, growing up in this fault that they have no like they're stupid you know right they've they've been so conditioned to just do what you're expected to do that when something unexpected happens they've got no context and and no instinct to react to that they yeah they just stick to the daily schedule you know so they bust out and quilla june's co-conspirators are are waiting outside to help them get away They're escaping through the park, and Quilla June's wedding gown is a sound engineer's nightmare because (laughs) this thing is rustling so loud it's drowning out most of the dialogue. Quilla June wants Vic to stay and help her take over the committee. Vic just wants to leave, and probably one of the best quotes of the movie comes here when Vic tells Quilla June, I got to get back in the dirt so I can feel clean. <laughs> yeah. He's having no part of this. This, this, this is too weird. This, this kind of society is not meant to be. It's, it's just strange. Yeah, there, there's nothing good about what's going on here. I mean, yeah, they've got, they've got a safe place to live. They've got plenty of food. They've got clean conditions. But it's a nightmare paradise. You're just like, you know, dumb replicators at that point, you know? Right. And shit, yeah. The Quilla June threatens to kill Vic if he won't kill the committee for her. His response to that is to slap the crap out of her. And that's when she starts yelling that she loves him. While this is going on, the committee is setting up their meeting in the park. It's, yeah. It's like they know where they are. 
and we're not going to really confront them. We're just going to let them watch us condemn them. It's kind of surreal the way all of that's going down. Yeah, it's like a dream. It's like just like a little tea party set out in the middle of nowhere, and they're just sitting there bored to tears. And I think that chick, she's like sewing or something, and uh, they just seem bored. Like, it's like, oh, what's on the referendum? Ah, oh, let's, uh, you know, there's that coup that's going on. Ah, oh, not that again. You know, it's like, come on, man. Yeah. And, and the I- members of the town just gather there to watch this meeting. No idea how they found out. They just appear. But as Vic and Quilla June watch, the members of Quilla June's little coup are one by one being tried and sent to be sent to the farm for <laughs> uh, failure to obey authority, wrong attitude, mopery. Quilla June, Gary, and Richard are all found guilty of having the wrong attitude and failure to obey authority, and they're all sentenced to the farm. The parade starts, and Michael just starts killing people. Michael. Michael is something else. Michael's got this goofy grin pasted on his face. He just goes around in his overalls and straw hat, snapping necks. He's also the one that was forcibly bathing Vic once they uh, captured him. He's just kind of their gopher. He's a a big burly guy. It's like, I don't know if... uh... I know that Jaws from James Bond was a hillbilly or something. He's just mean. <laughs> he, lo- he looks like the whole defensive line of, of, I don't know, the Bears or something. He's just a big dude. He's a big guy. Michael then heads after Vic and Quilla June. He knows exactly where they are. Vic shoots him several times, but Michael just keeps on coming. It turns out Michael's actually a robot. Yeah, he's a Terminator. Yeah. Uh, The committee starts planning to get another sperm donor, and Vic is able to shoot Michael's knees. When Michael goes down, they shoot him in the back, and he just explodes. So now, in addition to getting a new sperm donor, they also have to get a new Michael unit out of storage and see if the engineering team can take the smile off of this one. It is unnerving. It really is. He has the teeth the size of baseball cards. And menacing. So Vic and Quilla June escape to the surface, and it looks like blood is gone, but it turns out he's just very, very weak. He had gone back to the settlement, and a band of rovers have taken it over, and blood is even more hurt than he was before Vic went down there. Probably starving, too. I mean, you, the time moves different when you're underground. You don't know how much time past right oh it's just he he comes out and then like there he is and he's weak so what blood needs more than anything is food quilla june tries to talk vic into leaving just leave blood and let's go find over the hill and yeah i love you baby find paradise yeah vic needs to find some food for blood and quilla june's trying to talk him out of it and explains that she loves him, and that's all Vic needs to hear. He gets an odd look in his eyes, and we fade to black. And when the scene comes back, it's Vic and Blood walking away. Into um, the sun. Or the they're sun. going out to head to find over the hill. Where did they find food, and what happened to Quilla June? Looks like the answer to both of those questions is the same thing. 
Vic says that Quilla June uh, didn't have very good judgment falling in love with him, to which Blood responds, no, you're right, but she did have good taste. <laughs> we waited 83 minutes through this for a dad joke. A very stale dad joke. You got to love the LQ, man. I know him and the, the author, they had, you know, a beef about that. I think it works. It works really well. Yeah. There was talk about making a sequel to this as well, but the dog died, so that pretty much yeah. scrapped those plans. The sequel's title was going to be A Girl and His Dog. Huh. That was, that was the supposed title that was going into. Yeah, I know. I knew it was supposed to, it wasn't supposed to be Vic this time around, that it was yeah. supposed to be a girl. Honestly, I don't think they could have done anything that worth doing with a sequel this this movie this story stands on its own and there aren't many questions left unanswered there's no real curiosity about what happens to the underground city of topeka i don't care enough about those people to want to know what happened to them it's not even about really the characters it's more about like the imagery about like how sad shit is after the world like you want to become property and like just everything's bleak and just you know yeah there are a lot of moral messages in there and harlan ellison was kind of a a holier than thou kind of guy anyway yeah he but, can get on pulpit man he he really i used to like read him and like listen to his things he used to do diatribes on like sci-fi channel right yeah i used to get down to that stuff yeah this this really is just a big piece of social commentary in a post-apocalyptic setting built on the framework of the the standard Western film. Yeah, and it hit all those. And I absolutely love it. It's it's yeah. a great movie. I like the, is... uh, the comic book adaptation by uh, Richard Corbin. It was called uh, Blood and Vic. That was, oh man, that was great. I, uh, I had every issue of Heavy Metal that had that storyline in it. I need to look see if I can find that somewhere because that's oh, that yeah. sounds great. It is. It, it it's like the movie, but it uh, expands some sections, and you get to really know about like you know more about stuff going on in the world and shit. Plus, Richard Corbin, man, that guy. It sucks. He just died like in December. He was one of my favorite illustrators. Well, man, that's uh, a boy and his dog. That was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, I'm I'm glad we did that one. It's a great movie. I really hate picking it apart and trying to make fun because it's it's such a good movie. Yeah, and and that's one of the things that I, I had a hard time doing too when I was I had to watch it two or three times to take notes on it because that's one of those movies that it's easy to forget that you're supposed to be studying it and just sit back and watch it and enjoy it. Three minutes into it, and you're just like, you're just lost. <laughs> and that's a podcast, bud. Hell yeah, man. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We had a lot of fun making it. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you hear us. You can follow CDF Pod on Facebook and Instagram or at CDF underscore pod on Twitter. You can also visit our website at CDFPod.com. And don't forget you can help us make donations to film schools all across the country by going to Patreon.com slash CDFPod. Join us next time as we explore another movie's so awesome, it probably shouldn't have been made. Oh,